1: from KQED in San Francisco. I'm Mina Kim. The pop-up whose Instagram you DM the moment orders reopen. The chef with the best dish you ever tasted on a compostable plate. The baker whose vegan desserts have that perfect level of sweetness. California's pop-up scene flourished in the pandemic, and a new state law aims to make it easier on chefs who operate out of their home kitchens. Coming up on Forum, we'll meet food pop-up entrepreneurs Learn about their culinary creations and what it takes to launch a food pop-up in California. And tell us about your favorite pop-up bakers, chefs, or coffee makers after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Governor Newsom a couple weeks ago signed into law new rules that make it easier for home cooks to sell their food to the public. So-called micro-enterprise home kitchen operations can now sell more meals per week, 90 instead of 60, and they can make more money doing it, up to $100,000 rather than 50 dollars This easing of restrictions could bring more chefs into the pop-up world, and this hour we'll meet entrepreneurs just starting out or a few years in, To get a sense of how they're bringing their culinary creations, like vegan Thai tea donuts, oxtail burgers with burnt sugar, and brioche tarts with Indian cheese, to California's evolving pop-up scene. Let me tell you who they are. Vander Hill is owner of Whack Donuts, a vegan donut pop-up in the Bay Area. Welcome to Forum, Vander. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. Rashida Holmes is with us, chef and owner of Bridgetown Roti, a Caribbean-American food pop-up based in Los Angeles. So glad to have you, Rashida. Glad to be here, Nina. Also, Aditi Badlamudi, who is actually KQED's Silicon Valley reporter, runs the new pop-up Bottom Babe that makes South Asian-inspired pastries. Aditi, hi. Thanks
3: for having me, Nina.
1: (laughs) I want to start by hearing about all the amazing food you three are bringing into the world. And Aditi, I understand you just had your very first pop-up last month.
3: Congratulations. That is so cool. Thank you. What did you serve? Oh, we had, um, you know, so I worked with um, Anand Upender, who runs a series of pop-ups here um, in San Francisco. And he basically helped me craft the menu. And it was a lot of questions of like, what do people like to eat in the morning? People don't really like to eat cake in the morning necessarily. So what are you going to sell? So we created like sort of a trio of donuts. Um, we made like these brioche donuts with different fillings. I made like a filter coffee one with like, I brewed South Indian filter coffee and whipped it into some pastry cream. Um, I made a, uh, like, strawberry ruafza jam. Rufsa is this, like, syrup that we put into drinks. So I, like, sort of made a strawberry ruafsa jam. That was one donut. And then I also made, like, a shrikhand donut, which is this um, Gujarati dessert that has, like, cardamom and saffron and, um, like, all of these different flavors. And I, I also whipped that into a pastry cream. And so we had this trio, and then we had one savory... Um, brioche tart which was like cheese with um, you know onions and and uh, bell peppers like sort of sauteed and like cumin and coriander
1: and they sound amazing what was most popular
3: (laughs) honestly i um you know it was really overwhelming and um amazing that people came out we were sort of like will people come I don't know like I don't know how it'll go because um, it was our first one but everyone was so supportive I think the amul cheese tarts sold out super quickly oh. um, I think because like I think people like savory options and uh, that and we had like this mint chutney that we put on top and I think people really like that so that sold out and then I think the filter coffee donuts also were like very popular.
1: Wow well Rashida Bridgetown Rodi is a few years in now. What are the dishes Bridgetown Roti is known for?
4: Uh, I will. Number one is our roti, particularly our curry chicken roti. That's a family recipe. I kind of stole and chefed up from my mom, um, <laughs> as well as I'd say <laughs> our, oxt- our oxtail patties would probably be our other popular item. And then lately it's been our uh, our double with curry chickpeas, a tamarind sauce, um, a scotch bonnet sauce, and cucumber.
1: Ooh. Tell us more about the oxtail patties. It's your dad's recipe, right?
4: Yes. So my dad was always kind of the, the stewed meat guy in my household, <laughs> and he learned how to make a bunch of that in brown stew oxtail uh, with burnt sugar, Blue Mountain burnt sugar, um, as well as like cumin and clove and allspice, a lot of warming spices. And so I kind of took that childhood memory and combined it with beef patties that I grew up eating when I was uh, young in New York from like golden crust. And so we add kind of that stewed out to some green sofrito with bell peppers and Anaheim and Ginger and scotch bonnet. Mm. And then we reduce the sauce down, mix it with breadcrumbs, and kind of mix all that meat together in a turmeric pastry. So people really like it. Oh, I'm
1: getting hungry. Vander, Mm -hmm. now you're going to even make me hungry. This time for sweet, though. Walk us through some of your favorite vegan donuts that you make.
5: Okay. We got my peach cobbler donut. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've done an Oreo cookie, plant-based donut, uh, strawberry cream, uh, eggnog, Thai tea, matcha, chocolate, original glaze. It's like my kids. I love them all. Yeah. They're
1: <laughs> like your kids. I have heard the donuts being described as um, tasting not vegan. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> so what does that mean? What do you think they mean when they say that?
5: Well, I, I believe that there's a, a almost like, taboo when it comes to vegan desserts you you just associate something that's something that's gonna be kind of healthy tasting like nasty especially if you're a kid growing up but as a big kid um yeah vegan desserts just get a bad rap so um people are shocked when you're like oh wow that was a vegan donut and i'm like yeah it was still good wasn't it like oh wow okay yeah so
1: and you yourself are not
5: Vegan, right? Yeah, that's that's the one that makes everyone cry. They're like, what, you're not vegan? I'm like, no, I, I le- learned how to bake uh, vegan because initially when I started, uh, a lot of my friends turned out to be vegan. So I was already not using a lot of dairy to begin with. So I just spent three and a half months learning how to bake vegan. And then I was like, you know what, moving forward, I'm just going to make this all, all vegan operation because... Yeah. A lot of vegan desserts don't get a lot of love. So I'm trying to flip that script. So at the time, the Impossible Burger was all the rage. Um, And so I was like, I want to kind of take that concept and make a donut that you can eat. And even if you're vegan or not, you can tell the difference.
1: You, I was talking about this California law that just passed went into effect immediately on July 21st that helps people who are operating out of their home kitchens. And you're not doing that anymore, right, Vander? No,
5: not anymore. When I first started, I literally converted my kitchen uh, into my workspace. So because I was working uh, with vegan um, ingredients, I wouldn't eat till almost like 11 at night because I wanted to avoid cross-contamination. So um, that's how dedicated I was to preserving uh, my kitchen space. So in the beginning, honestly, you don't know what you can and can't do. So, you know, when you're learning about cottage licenses and all that stuff yeah. later down the road, I was like, oh, uh, I didn't know I could do that. Or because the volume at the time wasn't in excess, I was okay. Right. And then Depending on where you're at here in the Bay, like, some places, you are know, like, oh, you can, you, like, say, I think in Alameda, you're okay. But San Francisco is, like, a weird beast um, with, with that. So yeah, I would end up just using uh, kitchens, like, uh, out in the Bayview or Excelsior. That kind of took me under their wing. They're like, oh, you you can bake here, but the hours just weren't consistent. So
1: So now you're in a commercial kitchen with... Consistent hours
5: mm-hmm. and
4: a
1: good setup. where you don't have to wait till eleven o'clock at night to be able to eat a meal.
5: No, I and start you get up super early, right? Yeah, I, I start my day at uh, two two forty five, three in the oh morning. My gosh.
1: Um well see, you are out of your kitchen, but you even still don't necessarily stand to benefit from the California law because as Vander is pointing out, it is county by county, right? Counties have the option of opting in. So they don't even have to do it.
3: Totally. I mean, and, and like Vander's completely right. Like there are different rules based on like what county you're in. And San Francisco is like its own separate beast of like rules, Um, you know, even within. So like technically, I think I so I'm uh, applying right now for a cottage food license. And there are the, I, the difference, as I understand it, is uh, between like a micro enterprise, um, you know, home kitchen operation and a cottage food operation is sort of like I think um, the the first can make sort of like, quote unquote, like hazardous food, but it can't be stored. It has to be like made and sold on the same day, whereas like a cottage food operation can make, you know, quote unquote, low hazard food that can be stored and then sold later. So like
1: pastries and baked goods.
3: Right. But even within that, there are like specific rules. So like you can't, you know, you can't sell things that have, um, you know, like certain custards or creams, um, things that like require refrigeration. Um, Can you just give me a
1: really quick sense of your setup in your kitchen, like how you set up your home kitchen to work also as something that you can make food that you're going to sell to the public a ton of pastries
3: <laughs> it's like very so <laughs> yeah, uh, i'm still figuring it out uh i i you know i will say i think i'm getting a lot of um like i found that this space is so welcoming and warm like i have i have asked so many questions of other bakers who've been doing this for much longer than i have and they've been nothing but kind to me and sharing their wisdom um, you know, Rachel Cahill of Greenhouse Bakes, um, you know, Shrew's Kitchen in San Mateo. Um, they've all just helped me a lot. Um, I the way that my setup looks is like I have this section of my kitchen that is only for Badam Babe. And there's like nothing else that happens in that space. And when I'm working on an order, um, like, nothing else happens in the kitchen. Like, we can't be cooking dinner. We can't be cooking lunch. Don't come in to get a snack. Don't come in to wash anything. Like, just keep it as clean as possible for Badam Babe. Um, And that's just to make sure that, like, you know, I don't mix anything up. But, like, it's still very, like, you know, scotch taped together.
1: But even though you, Vander and and Rashida too, will not necessarily benefit from the changes to the micro enterprise home kitchen law that just passed. What, does it send a message that the state is sort of easing restrictions, making it a little bit easier? Definitely. What message does it send, Vander, to you?
5: Well, I think one 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 thing is, I started my my business during the height of the pandemic and like a lot of entrepreneurs during the pandemic started their business too and I think uh, the, they're, they're seeing that there's more people that are trying to jump into this realm. So, but, like, in the beginning, I was intimidated. So having something like this eases that, and... It's going to make things open up for people that are like, hey, you know what? I kind of want to start my own thing. So,
1: yeah, it's a recognition you're being seen and, mm-hmm. and acknowledged. Well, we are going to hear about your favorite pop-ups listeners and also if you seek out or try to support them and why you do. Or maybe you have questions about starting a pop-up because we've got panelists here who can tell you what that's been like. Can't wait to hear from Rashida after the break about how. She scaled up to a brick and mortar. So stay with us for that. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
6: This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum.
7: Even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite— Ha! Found ya. You. How? you
3: left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
1: You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Tomorrow, we'll talk with Congressmember Barbara Lee, who is running to replace Diane Feinstein in the U.S. Senate. What do you want in California's next senator? And what would you like to ask Rep Lee? Join us Friday. Today, we're talking with a panel of food pop-up entrepreneurs and learning what it takes to make it in California's pop-up scene. We're talking with Aditi Bandlamudi, housing reporter for KQEDU, who runs the new pop-up Bottom Babe, which makes Indian-American inspired baked goods. Rashida Holmes is with us, chef, owner of Bridgetown Roti, a Caribbean-American food pop-up based in L.A. Vander Hill, owner of Whack Donuts, a vegan donut pop-up in the Bay Area. And you, our listeners, what's the most innovative pop-up you've tried or maybe encountered in your travels around the state? What do you look for in a pop-up? What questions do you have about starting one? Do you seek out or try to support them? Why? Email forum at kqed.org Find us on our social channels at KQED Forum. Call us at 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. And Arc writes on Discord, I love Beckman's Bakery's apple pie. It is so good, but it's only available at farmers markets. They have a website, but online, they only sell the regular size pies. Where at the farmers market, they also have the mini versions. One of these days, I'd love to help them take non cash payments. That's my biggest gripe with their delicious farmers market stands. And I guess the fact that they sell out super quickly. <laughs> it sounds really good. Well, um, Rashida Holmes, you are past the um, home kitchen stage, and as I understand, have landed a brick and mortar spot in LA. First of all, that is very cool. Congratulations. And I am just so curious what that will allow you to do now that you couldn't necessarily do before.
4: Um, Well, a couple of things. I mean, we're not quite there yet. We're still kind of in the building process, but and that has been basically a a three-year journey. I think we started to look, started to explore the idea of a brick and mortar kind of right when we started, Mm. uh, because that was always the goal, and it took three years to kind of get us to that point, so um, I would advise to get started as soon as possible, (laughs) (laughs) if that's what you're trying to get to. Um, But really, we're excited about it, because, you know, I I love the pop-up model, It's, it's given me a lot of opportunity and and allowed me to share my cuisine with people but it's limiting it's limiting to what you're able to do it's limiting to um the kind of dishes you want to serve it's also limiting to time and space and it's also limiting to dollars i mean there's just there's only so much you can make you know in this model in terms of revenue um, so we're excited to really expand that and, and grow the brand.
1: You're saying that if you wanted to uh, do a brick-and-mortar place to start thinking about it right now, what are some of the biggest challenges of scaling up, especially to that if you want to?
4: Well, the thing that's lovely about the Papa Model is you can basically employ yourself and maybe one other person and kind of make it work. I think the hardest thing about scaling up is is staffing and bringing other people in and having to train people to do the things that you've been doing kind of solo for the past couple of years so I think that's the hardest challenge and then the second one is just is raising enough capital I mean if you're doing a pop-up model it's hard to grow a big pocket of savings because if you're putting what 48 80 hours into that project when you have to pay yourself and have to maybe pay one other person, you know, the money can go really quick. And so it's hard to kind of build a nest egg to grow and you have to kind of find people to invest in you and invest in your dream and your idea.
1: Yeah. That comment earlier, Vander, about um, the bakery and kind of wishing they didn't sell out that fast made me wonder about just how also challenging it can be to determine how much to make. And I'm wondering how you got some boundaries on that, right? You were able to sort of make that more sustainable for yourself.
5: Yeah, uh, in the beginning, uh, you could just call me up because it, it. Since I bake my donuts, it only takes like ten or twelve minutes to bake, and then like another fifteen for the glaze to set. So I was taking orders left and right, but I I, I soon backed myself into a corner. Um, those that first year really opened me up. So by the second. Even, even up to now, I have a better idea, like, when I, people have me pop up. Um, some places are, like, oh, we're expecting 400 guests, so I'll make close to, like, you know, the number of people that are there, like, maybe, like, 300 donuts, for example. Like, I literally did that two weeks ago. Other times, there have been instances where I popped up and I made too much, you know, and so it's a lot of trial and error but you, you start to get a sense of uh, how much to bring the more you do it. So it's, it's not um, even my fellow vendor friends that were putting me on game. They're like, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's going to be hit or miss sometimes, um, depending on the neighborhood. If um, I'm in the East Bay versus the South Bay versus San Francisco, it's, it's always different. So I always encourage people, you know, your first couple of times don't bring too much. You know, and if it's, I'd rather bring less and sell out quick than a lot and only sell like maybe half my lot. So I feel I've mastered it to a degree, yes, at this point in going into my three third year, but uh, the beginning was a uh, very trying. So, <laughs> wow,
1: out of the, I'm sure this is something you navigate, but also just curious, what advice as a newbie you have found most helpful with sort of all the different different things you have to account for with regard to doing your, your business or, or being able to sell your food to the public
3: for, for my, so in my personal experience, like I think, I think what I found, uh, like, there's a lot of things that I think I took for granted that I'm now like, oh, I really should be paying attention to that. So, like, for example, like so much of the business happens on Instagram, like so much of like, you know, I I am not really mm. a good person to post on social media in the sense that, like, I usually don't like to post on social media that much. Um, I like feel very awkward doing it. But like you have to do that because otherwise people won't know about your like pop up. Um. So, like, you know, getting into a rhythm of, like, posting every week or, like, a story or two every week. And maybe that's – I think that might even be, like, low. Like, maybe that might be, like, infrequent still. Um, It's, like, way more frequent for me (laughs) than I have ever done before. But, you know, and also, like, having – you know, I, I have to credit, like, so my husband isn't here with me today, but he, um, is like my partner in this business. And he like, is like in the kitchen with me, like, you know, washing dishes after the fact, or like when we were at the pop-up, he was like behind the scenes, like warming up the donuts, making sure everything's fresh, like getting the orders like ready. Um, and it's been like, I, I, I think I took that for granted at first and being like, oh, I can do it all myself, but like, I really can't. And, uh, I feel like I've been very lucky to, like, have a partner who's, like, with me to, like, do this. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I think, like, hearing people like Vander say, like, in the beginning, you're going to mess up and it's okay. I think that's, like, really helpful to hear because I'm still very new at this and I'm still learning a lot about it. So it's good to know that I can fail. <laughs>
1: Well, Clara writes, My cake business, Vinegary Personality, sold slices at a number of pop-ups in the Bay Area over the past couple of years. I run an almost solo operation and mostly do commissions, so pop-ups to me are a real treat. They kind of feel like a little party where you can gather together people you love in one place and share what you've made with them and eat the fruits of your labor The biggest challenge I found is not knowing how many people to expect and trying to find a sweet spot where I don't run out too fast but also don't make too much cake. Shout out to Shook, a pop-up in the Richmond district that always has really cool vendors and themes. And, yeah, listeners, if you want to share your favorite pop-ups, innovative ones you've tried – why you try to seek them out and support them, or even questions if you're thinking about starting one yourself, 866-733-6786, the number, email address, forum at kqed.org. We're at KQED Forum on social, so look for us there. Let me bring into the conversation Anand Upender, creator of the Bay Area pop-up York Street Coffee and the pop-up dinner series, Just Some Folks. Anand, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, Mina.
8: Thanks for having me.
1: I thought about you because I'm hearing about marketing and marketing challenges and questions. I'm hearing about Amount. And I know that there are a lot of people who have turned to you for advice in terms of navigating the pop-up space. And I'm just wondering, what is the most frequent Mm -hmm. question or the most frequent challenge you're being asked to give advice on?
8: Yeah. I mean, I think everyone coming out of the pandemic is having is finding their inner desire to be in the food industry so there's not a week that goes by where I don't have someone just reaching out and saying hey can I come volunteer at one of your pop-ups and to see how it works so I think it's a it's a very in-person industry you don't really know what it feels like to be in a kind of dimly lit commercial kitchen prepping 400 donuts like Vander said until you're there yeah. I think a lot of the best advice that I give is is come hang out come come to a stage shift which is a um, kind of Mini internship for a day or two, come join the volunteering team, um, and then similar to what Aditi said, like reaching out your hand to support these newer creators, and also reaching out to people who are more senior than you. Um, I've always been surprised at the number of, you know, my first job in the food industry came from Instagram, my first couple pop-ups came from Instagram. So, uh, seeing people in the scene and in the industry is more accessible than you might imagine. As like a scared newcomer, has been really helpful.
1: Do you get a lot of questions about legal stuff, permitting, and so on? Do you feel like you have a really good handle on that now? You know, I'm
8: still I'm still new into those waters. I, I think in California especially, I see pop-ups as kind of like tomato vines. Like, they're going to grow from the California sun no matter what. Like, these pop-ups are happening, and they're navigating permitting systems as they go. And there's, there's some really great organizations out there. Um, one that I work with called La Cocina, which supports women of color-owned businesses in the Bay— and they provide the the almost like translation services to take pretty dense uh legal documents and nuances and convert those into you know advice and guidelines. I'm I'm not the expert there, but there are people that are kind of helping navigate those permitting systems.
1: What about the marketing aspect? What do you tell people about marketing? I'm not sure if you gave mm. Adidi um advice on that, but yeah, it just feels like such an yeah. important
8: part of this. Definitely. There's lots of approaches. I, I mean, I, in all the pop-ups I do, I lean heavily into collaborations, both because it's fun. It's a, yeah. It, it's, it's really nice doing a solo operation to have a buddy next to me. And I popped up with pop-up with both Vander and um, Aditi and would love to pop up with you, Rashida. Um, so <laughs> pop-ups are great, both from that standpoint, and you know, you co-publish on Instagram and you reach to audiences and, and that can be really helpful. Um, I think there's a lot of different, ways you can show your voice on social media and kind of cut through. Um, I think Vander does a really good job of, of showing his face and of creating um, really relatable and honest content. My background is in, in design, and so I mean more into graphic design and like really uh, consistent, uh, like kind of more, um, yeah, it's a little more on the nose around the information of the pop-up Um, posting regular and often and then being pretty true to your voice is is key.
1: People are really interested in the story of the pop-up chef and owner themselves. Anand, Mm -hmm. you find that?
8: It's interesting. Yeah, I think it's it's very identity-driven because, especially in San Francisco, um, you can get amazing you, you can get an amazing scallop crudo anywhere. You can get an amazing bowl of tagliatelle anywhere. And so what pop-ups allow for is completely new vantage points, whether it's fusions or um, people taking uh, recipes from multiple restaurants they've worked at and, and bringing that into their pop-up. It's, it's really like an art scene, and it's an underground art scene um, that I think people can't find that food at restaurants because that, that food might be too risky to do at scale. It might not be financially viable. Uh, it, it might be hard to find a team, like Rashida said, to be able to execute that. So I think pop-ups have some of the most creative food. And identity-driven food.
1: And, and so, before I let you go, just tell us a little bit about the food you do.
8: <laughs> sure. Yeah, I run a, uh, a community block party called York Street Coffee. We serve some coffee there, and and I run just some folks, more of a supper club. Um, I have you heard the term A B C D? <laughs> Before I, describing I, South Asian I, Americans,
1: I did once I was prepping for this conversation to be totally honest on it. So, share it with our listeners. So
8: yesterday, uh, ABCD is a funny term. Uh, it's American born, confused, they see. They see is the a term for South Asian folks. I was born in the US. My parents were born in India. So, it's this like navigating the ambiguity of growing up with Indian food, but also like the diversity of, of like all the cuisines in America. Um, so I think that shows up in my food. Like I make this Parliji latte, which is the, the most popular biscuit in India. I blend it up into a syrup, mix it with malted milk powder, which is more reminiscent of like American diners that I love and create this like really umami, sweet, uh, caffeine-free drink for the coffee pop-ups. And, you know, I get South Asian folks coming up and saying, wow, this is, this is like what I had with cha, but it's also clearly not something that really existed in south asian host households yeah
1: um yeah and what do you tell people at the end of the day if they're struggling or wondering mm. if this is what they should do like what to keep in mind
8: mm, yeah i think it's it's a little bit like i mentioned of an art art process and uh You know when i was first starting out i had no voice i didn't really know what my perspective was and what i was making it was a lot of seeing what was around me and taking things in and kind of regurgitating themselves back um so i think the most fun and successful pop-ups are immersed in the food scene they're eaters too right they're they're trying the newest pop-ups out there they're trying the newest restaurants out there using that to inspire their own perspective and then hopefully it's a joy uh to to put that out in the world and I think for me, one of the hardest things to reckon with was that majority of your time might be doing the prep. And then 20 percent of your time is actually in front of the audience that you're trying to um, make smile and uh, kind of remembering those joyful moments of handing off uh, your creation while you're in the in the trenches.
1: Yeah. Anandupender, creator of the Bay Area pop-up York Street Coffee and the pop-up dinner series Just Some Folks. Thanks so
8: much. My pleasure. Take care, Amina.
1: You too. Rashida I'm wondering, was there someone who made you believe in yourself or 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 made you know you you have to try this like really inspired you to try this
7: That's mm, a
4: really good question. um I really liked uh what he had to say about having a clear vision i think the the thing that made me want to try this was a number of things I'd been cooking for in restaurants for 15 years cooking, you know, French and Italian and all of the typical things that come along with fine dining cooking and I just didn't see myself in what I was doing at all. Um I didn't see my my heritage, I didn't see my own point of view. And so I had the opportunity to kind of write down everything I love to eat. <laughs> and the only thing that I was like, "Oh, I I can't get any Caribbean food in LA. Maybe I should try that." And so I <laughs> I first went to friends and family. I did my first pop-up in 2019 with just friends and family. Be like, is this good? Like, is this, like, is this good guys? Cause they'll tell you the truth. <laughs> Your friends and family will tell you, you know, no, this is bad, you should stop. So <laughs> they gave me the first kind of inspiration to keep going. Cause they were like, oh, this is really good. I've never had anything like this. And yet it also tastes really familiar. And that was like a wonderful sentence. I was like, oh, okay, if we can run with that, then I think we can have
1: something. Yeah, you're getting a lot of nods in terms of friends and family being super honest with you, um, <laughs> from Vander and Aditi in the room with me right now. And you know, if if the experiences you're hearing, listeners resonate with you, because you have tried uh, trying to share your creativity, your your culinary creations with the world. Feel free to share that, too. Um, again, email address, forum at kqed.org, social channels, Facebook, Instagram, threads at KQBD forum. The phone number, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. A listener writes on Discord, Whack Donuts are so good, all caps. I'm partial to the Thai tea and the original glazed. We'll have more after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking to pop-up entrepreneurs across the state about their culinary creations and about the joys and challenges of running a pop-up. We're talking with Rashida Holmes, chef-owner of Bridgetown Roti, a Caribbean-American food pop-up in L.A., Vanderhill, owner of Whack Donuts, a vegan donut pop-up in the Bay Area, Aditi Budi, a housing reporter for KQED who runs Bottom Babe, which makes Indian-American inspired baked goods. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your questions and experiences. Let me go next to Emily in Oakland. Hey, Emily, you're
2: on. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for taking my call. Um, so, I, um, I'm the chef and owner of La Marcha, or co owner of La Marcha mm-hmm. Tapas Bar in Berkeley. But we started 12 years ago, um, like before any of these pop up laws. Um, doing it, like, out of our kitchens illegally, making, you know, doing all the prep, and then doing pop-ups at bars. (laughs) And I know it's that. No, no, I mean, it's a gray area. area. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It is a gray area. Um, (laughs) Exactly. I think I'm not unique in this sense.
9: But um, (laughs) but we started
2: started doing, um, you know, pop-ups at bars, and then we started doing first Fridays, and we were able to do pop-ups at, um, like, different restaurants that would kind of allow us to have a night or, like, Sweet Bar Bakery um, in Oakland would let us like use their kitchen in the evening to do pop-ups there. And so it was really being kind of embraced by a community and seeking out people that would allow us to do it until eventually we quit our jobs and rented an actual commercial kitchen space um, because we were able to do it full-time. We, On the side, to actually keep up the pop-up going, we started doing catering. So we make paella. So it's kind of a fun um, a fun food for like a wedding or a party. And we found that there wasn't really much of it in the East Bay. So we were able to actually fuel it to the point where now we've had the restaurant for eight years and the catering for 12 years now. But it all started with us doing pop-ups at local bars in Oakland and in Berkeley.
1: That's so cool. That, that is very inspiring. And you're right about paella. It's also just got this whole communal aspect of it. And so I love that. love that you did paella. Emily, thanks so much for the call. Of course. Thank you for taking it. So Michael tweets is any training required for these pop-up operations?
3: I mean it it like happens really casually. <laughs> I don't I don't think there's any like oh like here is a um like course that you must take before you do a pop-up. It's more like um okay, you're having your first pop-up. What are how much are you going to make? What are you going to make? How are you going to present the menu? How are you going to accept money? Um, how are you going to, like, you know, make it an experience? And, like, what is everybody's roles? Like, boom. That's how you do it. But but since then, I've, like, gotten my, like, food handler certification and all of that. But just to be clear, like, I did get that. But, yeah.
1: Well, I am struck by something you said, though, which is that you got a lot of help. Was that surprising to you? Did you think sort of the pop-up scene would be a little more competitive? Did you expect that?
3: Oh, my God. I like I have this crisis like every day where I like go on Instagram and there's like these other because there's there's a whole world out there. Like I am I am just one of like so many others. If you want specifically other South Asian women who are doing pop ups, I can give you like four names. Like there are like many women just like me who are doing this and like many men doing like, you know, um, I I think like at first I was very like, oh no, I have to be like competitive. And like, if this person is doing this, then I need to like figure out how to do that too. And then like it, that goes away because that's also like not sustainable. And you also like go out and try other people's food and it's like really good. And then you're like, maybe I don't have to compete. Maybe we can all just offer our own take of like what we wanna present into the food world and we can all exist in harmony. Um, you know, for example, yeah. there's like this other um, South Asian baker in San Mateo who makes amazing, specifically vegan cakes. Um, I don't make very good vegan cakes. I've tried. They really taste bad. Like, I'm so excited that v- Vander has, like, cracked the code. <laughs> and now I don't have to worry about making a vegan cake because like she does it, and she does it way better than I do, and like that's okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's a real community and complementary space. It sounds like for you, Rashid. I was also hearing you say yes. Was there something you wanted to add around that?
4: No, I just I think that uh, people have a different idea of like what the pop up scene is because it really is a community. Especially you know as a as a entrepreneur doing your own thing, it can get very lonely because you feel like you're kind of doing everything on your own. And what I love about the pipeline community is like, there's so many resources, there's so many people to ask questions, people are willing to help, people are willing to collab. people are willing to, totally. you know, just give you the shirt off your back all the time. And I just think there's plenty of customers and space for everyone to really exist and flourish. And, and I love that. That's, that's, that's my favorite part about it personally Well, and the restaurant injury in general.
1: Well, well, yeah, you do hear sort of things about the restaurant industry that sometimes make you feel very cutthroat. <laughs> Lynn writes, how do your guests define what pop-ups are? Where do you find them? Um, Rashida, do you want to just take that in terms of defining where they are? Where do you find them? And also, just curious, what makes for like a good venue and a good venue host to work with? in your experience, you know? i um, wondering if you could mm-hmm. just touch on those things, Rashida.
4: Sure, I mean, where do you find them? I mean, Instagram really is our is our marketplace. <laughs> yeah. Instagram is our, is our storefront, you know? You have to kind of be a little bit of an investigative eater to kind of find what you want to eat, and then I guarantee you'll find a pop-up that's serving it. So that's where I would say to find us. I would also check places like, you know, Eater does a really good job of kind of staying their nose to the ground and and what's going on and and writing about pop-ups really well. Um, So that's another resource if you're looking for pop-ups. But what makes a really good vendor is one that understands the challenges that we go through as pop-ups and understands, like, the revenue challenges and can provide a customer base that's willing and excited for you to be there. And also, you know, that doesn't take too much from you as a small business in terms of that partnership. You know, I've worked with people who are like, oh, you can just pop up here. You know, we're going to sell alcohol, so you're good. You take all the food revenue. And I've worked with other problems that are like, we're going to charge you 20% and charge you for a dishwasher and charge you for, you know, this and that. And then at the end of the day, you know, you're not left with much. So, you know, I think those places that can provide spaces and restaurants off hours or things that don't affect their revenue, that's that's the place where we flourish.
1: Yeah. Well, let me go to Heidi in Lafayette. Hi, Heidi, you're on. Hi, I just want to say gratitude because I know what a hustle this
0: is for all the people who are doing it, and I love delicious food, and thank you for that, but I did want to shout out someone I um, got to know when during the pandemic, I didn't know I could find food through Instagram. <laughs> and um, there's a company, a woman run Queens, queen of crusts. Um, and her, that part of it is a delivery uh, flatbread pizza, delicious. But their original um, was uh, Chicks and Love, which was a pizza pop-up. And why I was uh, moved to call was just the way she uses her Instagram, she's such a charming person, and she's mm-hmm. so supportive of other companies. And I've learned about other businesses and gone and tasted their food, and I've met her. I just, I, I just really want. I know what a hustle it is, and so I just want to send out. And they just did a post because they just did a pop up locally out here at a, at a, um, at a historical uh, museum. Festival, and um, they wrote sort of their whole history of their company, which is about sixteen years mm-hmm. old, I think, or so. Yeah. And um, so it's on, um Queens of C- Queen of Crusts, I highly recommend. Delicious yeah. and, and
1: worthy of supporting and learning about. Heidi, thanks for the recommendation, and also you're underscoring sort of the fusing of the person and also what they provide. Um, Vander, I asked Rashida earlier about sort of what made her believe in herself or when she knew it was ready. When did you know your donuts were ready to sell?
5: Oh, boy. Um, That takes me back. Um, So initially when I started this, this was helping me cope with grief. I lost my grandma to cancer in 2017. My mom, a year later, 2018, cancer. My aunt and mentor literally passed away unexpectedly a week from each other as I was getting ready to fly out. To uh, so France for a dance competition uh, my job wasn't really supporting me so I kind of just got back into baking as a, another way to cope but it was when my friend Fernando who's super opinionated and I've known him since 98 working at the Exploratorium um, I just had all these donuts and he had one and he was just like bro I think you're on to something here and so um, again like I just made a little quick little logo and, um, I made an Instagram page and, uh, my friend Loan from high school, her family owned a cafe and they were like, Hey, if you ever, you know, want to try and pop up, you know, you can pop up here, um, out the store. Poppy, who I know from the DJ world is a Mr. E I gave him some donuts and he was like, dude, you're to something like, like run with this. And he says the fact that they're vegan too, like, psh. and yeah, Kids don't lie and my elders don't lie. So <laughs> I knew it was a hit once I got the kid tested, you know, mother approved uh, <laughs> sign off uh, with my donuts and just that fear in the beginning. Like, I don't know, but I already knew that I was kind of over the nine to five and I want to be my own boss. So I just went for it yeah. and uh, started getting traction because I'm a 90s kid. So I'm, I'm more like word of mouth and like I try to keep up with TikTok and Instagram but, yeah, that's that's when things really start snowballing in a good way for me.
1: Where so. where did the name come from?
5: So, Whack Donuts, uh, like I mentioned, I, I, I wanted to marry things that I love. So, baking and dance. So, I uh, got into breaking in high school, like a lot of kids in my generation. And it was a nickname I got growing up, pre-Animaniacs. So, people are like, <laughs> like, Animaniacs? I'm like, no, this is pre-Animaniacs, <laughs> but growing up in the rougher days of the mission me and my friends will always often get jumped a lot and uh one time we got jumped by a gang and i just blew up and knocked out three guys that were jumping my friends and uh my friends used to call me payaso which means clown in spanish and uh my boy Ricardo was like, nah, dude, you're crazy, man. You're like a wacko when you fight. <laughs> and so the first dance competition I ever entered, they're like, what's your name? And I wasn't going to tell him a government name. I was like, uh, uh wacko. <laughs> and so in the world of hip hop, you know, when you say something's whack, it's, it's, it's it's you know, it's terrible. So I was like, I want a name that flips that. So I said, well, I'm going to call it Wack Donuts. Like in um, all my dance friends were like, yo, this is whack donuts thing is trying to add me that's you right and i was like yeah how many wackos do you know <laughs> so when people eat my donuts i always tell them like oh just you know I, they say how are your donuts and i'm like these donuts are what they're, they're, they're whack they're like no they're not they're delicious and i was like yeah but oh i see what you're doing like, yeah so whack donuts is like my nickname mixed in with um my love of dance and donuts so
1: That's we're talking with Vander Hill, owner of Whack Donuts and also Rashida Holmes of Bridgetown Roti, Aditi Bandamuni of Bottom Babe. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to some more comments. Francesco Bites on Discord. Shout out to Edith's Pie Cart. Technically, they have a cafe in Oakland now, but the pop-up vibe is still strong with limited hours and pies. I had a mixed stone fruit pie from Edith's once that truly blew my mind. I also tried a sweet corn custard pie that was so Good. Claudia writes, we run a beautiful little cafe and restaurant in downtown San Francisco. Our food is casual, but the space would lend itself for fancy, playful cuisine. As restaurant owners, how do we get in touch with potential chefs for a pop-up? What is the role of the restaurant space in this? Do you need extra insurance for this? Uh, Rashida, you want to try that one? Um,
4: I mean, I carry my own liability insurance that normally is sufficient um yeah we have our are, own
3: Mm-hmm.
4: yeah we have our own i think that i've normally when i've done like festivals or events like that they do require like extra like outdoor cooking kind of insurance that we have to get an extra workers comp insurance but in the restaurant i think you're covered if not then we've been doing a lot of Underground Well
1: thank you Claudia for the question and yeah that's so great in terms of collaborating with pop ups at your restaurant. Let me go to Anne and Half Moon Bay. Hi Anne, join us. What would you like to
9: ask? Hi. Um Okay, I don't want to be a stick in the mud. Um, and I love all the creative ideas that I'm hearing, and I come from a long line of um, restaurant people. but uh, what I'm concerned about is I've noticed that in American society, um, as a general rule, and especially since Covid, I think, people have more and more and more there's they're throwing away, they're buying their food in packages that get thrown away. Granted, a lot of them say recycle. But it still, um, you still need resources to to make those materials and to recycle them, and um, and I just, I'm that's my concern. Yeah, and um, I did, I did just come from France, and in France these pop ups um, are also happening, and it's kind of cool. I think it's they have to um, make them. I don't think that they can. Use products that get thrown away or recycled. Yes, I think that as, when you order, when you order a drink or a plate of something, um, you pay a dollar or a euro, and then you get your euro back when you give it back. And another thing too mm-hmm. is sometimes you'll have logos on these cups. So if you choose to keep it and not give it back, you can, I and mean, then you have a souvenir. Yeah,
1: you can reuse it. Yeah, and that is a totally legit concern, and and mm-hmm. folks are nodding here. Aditi, did you want to respond to Anne's?
3: No, I mean, I think that that's exactly, like, I, I know I was concerned when we did our pop-up. I didn't want a lot of waste, um, especially things that would be, like, going in the garbage and not in, like, compost. So we, like, paid extra, and we sort of, like, ate into, like, our you know bottom line (laughs) whatever to like buy compostable um you know like containers for for food and like you know made sure that we um made like as like vander was saying earlier like we actually made less because we didn't want to end up with waste um so that we wouldn't like have Mm -hmm. that issue
1: yeah um Well, Jessica writes, pop-ups seem like an equalizer in the sense that folks who have a vision, drive, and talent have the opportunity to test it out within the community. I often see folks in East Oakland with their giant grills to sell chicken meals and corn or homemade taco bars. It's a way for different people to have a chance to support themselves and their families with lower risk than a full restaurant. It's creative and grassroots, and I fully support it. Um, that is such a great comment, Jessica, and I guess what I would add to it is I, I really feel like what I'm hearing from all of you is that one of the things that, that you all love about it is is that it's a connector and that it connects people to each other who are in this space, but also to the people who are, who are consuming your food. We were talking about people's favorite pop-ups, so I just want to ask you with the minute that we have left if there are a couple you each want to shout out. Let me start with you, Vander.
5: Oh wow, it's too many. Um, yeah, it's well, gonna just have to be <laughs> El Chino Grande. Uh, they just got a brick and mortar in the Mission. Um, who else? Uh, Soulful Blends uh, for coffee in the East Bay. Um, those are the homies. Nice. And um, those are the main two, just because yeah. I they come to mind. But there's a litany of folks out yep. there. Just jump on Instagram and you'll find them.
3: Aditi, how about you? Oh, my God. There's so many. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> greenhouse Bakes, like, in, in the East Bay, like, the best croissants. Oh, my God. Um, Restriction Kitchen here in the city. Yeah. Um, you know, Shrew's Kitchen in San Mateo. Much House Baker Bakery in uh, San Jose. And Rashida down in SoCal.
1: Give us two.
4: Oh,
3: gosh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the
4: Spangus, they do amazing Bollies. Bolivian Boles food. Food from bali. And then uh, Saucy Chick and Evil Cooks and... Los we'll our
1: Tacos, and I'll stop. <laughs> Rashida Holmes is Bridgetown Roti. Aditi Balamudi is Baden Babe. And Vanderhill is Whack Donuts. Also thanks to Anand Ubender, York Street Coffee. Thank you, Caroline Smith, for producing today's segment. Thank you, listeners, for sharing your favorites, why you support it, your great questions. As always, you've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
0: Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.
6: This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure,
7: So, I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How?
3: you left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
6: Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country